Welcome to Business Line's State of the Economy podcast, where you will find insight, analysis, and the story behind the numbers. Hello, and welcome to State of the Economy podcast. I am your host Jyoti Bantia, and today we'll talk about the M&A transactions in India. The M&A transactions in India has actually seen a spurt over the past few years. This comes at a time when, in 2022, the M&A deals touched record high deal volumes as nearly 20 deals were completed, accounting for about 112 billion dollars. Domestic M&A transactions dominated with a total of 355 deals, while outbound transactions aggregated for about 61 deals. In 2023, the M&A activity is expected to remain strong, even as there are global headwinds from rising interest rate. elevated inflation levels leading to increased margin pressure for companies strategic m&a in india is expected to remain resilient backed by continued strong domestic demand and healthy balance sheets while pe activity may rebound backed by better valuation resulting in higher deployments with me to discuss the same we have nandini chopra managing director at alvaraz and marshall and bharat anand partner at khetan and company the first question to nandini Can you please explain how M&A consolidations have surged in the recent years, and what are the factors that contributed to this surge? Thank you, Jyoti. Yeah, so I think we have seen a, a relentless surge post-COVID recovery from 2021 onwards, and uh, the deals. Uh, I will refer to closed deals while I speak, and and uh, not just announced deals. I think closed deals went. from 54 billion dollars to nearly 120 to 143 as we speak in the 9 months in calendar 2023 uh, of course caveated by the fact that about 68 of that 143 is the hdfc hdfc bank consolidation which i think closed in will be just closed in july uh this year so but the the reason really is the pent up dry powder post covid from private equity and and that explains the surge in inbound uh, transactions the ipo markets still haven't bounced back to the 2021 levels it remains muted and as a result uh, a lot of the capital requirements are being put up by private equity valuations have also been muted except of course every time the the market surge we see a kind of a tipping point with uh, valuations becoming so high that again peaks kind of pull back and we keep seeing that cycle uh, over and over again and largely i think the china plus one story is playing out and will continue to play out uh, with a lot of fdi investments coming into india marat if you could please weigh in no i completely agree i think um, you know on the buy side the mna decision is really driven by your confidence and it seems that you know india is on the upswing as investors are more confident about uh, whichever sector they operate in if india being core to that sector or if they are already in several strategics and look looking at doubling down on that so yeah all in all mni activity has done well absolutely but how has the landscape of the mergers and acquisition changed in the recent years and which industries have had the most active participation in it and for the second half of the remaining 2023 calendar year what are the trends that you are noticing at the current moment bharat if you could please go first sure you know i think the sectors in india that have witnessed uh, significant mna are clearly healthcare pharma 
obviously, you know, that has the the existence of venture capital, private equity money in these sectors has provided a huge boost to transaction activity taking place because of the thirst for exit. But also sectors like auto um, IT uh, have seen a fair bit of MA activity take place and uh, deal count for these sectors has been way above what has been normal trends, you know, historically recorded for these sectors. That's been certainly our experience in terms of um, the, you know, the sort of the year gone by to date. And expectations are that uh, these sectors will continue to see increasing activity. What's interesting is that you've seen uh, the advent of uh, Indian strategics looking at consolidation. And you've also seen, in some cases, foreign sellers exit India for some reason towards Indian strategics who are looking at consolidating and actually growing in terms of Indian market share. So some interesting trends there, and it'll be interesting to see how some of these trends bear out in the future. I think I agree with Bharat. I think in terms of the sector themes, uh, healthcare life sciences has been huge. It's value accretive. I think the underlying demographics and the economics of these two sectors, healthcare and life sciences, kind of, you know, don't go away and probably won't go away for a long time. So I think uh, both private equity and strategic investors are well invested. We are, however, seeing some trends where as promoters and founders, entrepreneurs are aging, um, you know, there is a handover. Uh, so you're seeing the, you know, the entire noise around, let's say, a CIPLA. And these will lead to larger transactions. We're seeing you'll be hearing about, you know, family splits. And these are just advent of time. So you saw the Godridge family split being being, uh, announced. So these, I think these kind of will continue to form themes, large themes for uh, domestic M&A. There are some large groups who've been leading consolidations earlier. I think till last year, it was largely Adani. They were raising money for their green businesses. They went out and diversified in uh, cement with the Ambuja deal. Uh, they continue to consolidate, acquired Sangi. Um, so I think, of course, there's been a slowdown at Adani, but Reliance, I think if you look at the deal tables, Reliance is right on top with some of the largest transactions. So last year, I think a lot of the 5G spectrum deals kind of led uh, led by Geo itself was, was, was huge. This year is, the, I think, the demerger of the geo financial services businesses, the serial raises for Reliance Retail. So some of these big groups, uh, you know, re- continue to remain strong and are magnets for, you know, large global private equity and sovereign fund investments. So some of these themes we will continue to see. I also see a lot of deal activity in renewables uh, and green energy. And I think uh, this is only going to grow, you know, in addition to uh, healthcare life sciences and IT tech. Uh, I think renewables is a is, is a big place. We saw uh, Renew Power, Maitra, Vada, Tata Renewables, all of them either, you know, uh, exchanging uh, cap table shareholders or raising new money, um, uh, JSW acquiring Maitra. So I think these are, these are and that's more than a bill, $10 billion of transactions and just renewables alone. Uh, we saw financial services kind of really uh, get right up on top of the league table uh, for merge, and I'm quoting merger market really, uh, and that's led by the HDFC consolidation, the IDFC, IDFC bank consolidation. Uh, I think Axis acquiring City, and as Bharat said, you know, City decided to exit their consumer business. So Axis Bank acquiring the City business, 
uh, Bandhan looking at IDFC, AMC. I think so. I think very interesting trends. Um, uh, and and we we're going to continue seeing some of that uh, tailwinds as we close twenty twenty three. And I'll maybe just weigh in, Jyoti, if I may, on Nandini's comments that, you know, sometimes it gets very attractive to look at the peak of the pinnacle and the largest deal and the billions, you know, just sort of glow in front of one's eyes. But look at, you know, 2000 plus deals, you know, happening in India, you know, that's not a small number. And given where the economy is and the trend of people to say that, look, we're not just simply going to rely on organic growth, but look at inorganic opportunities just means that, you know, some of that animal spirits that people were speaking of, hopefully get unleashed across each tier of, uh, you know, economic activity segmentation. So I think uh, good good news from that standpoint. Absolutely. How has the startup space uh, taken in M&As and in the recent times? Because, correct me if I'm wrong, because a lot of consolidation is now actually happening in the startup sector, whether it is edtechs or fintechs, they are actually going through a spate of MAs over time. So how have the startup sector really taken in MAs? And of course, in terms of valuation, in terms of deal sizes and everything, of course, and how does it lead to more job creation and economic creation for us? Bharat, if you could please go first. Yeah, sure. Happy to be. So, you know, you know, I think what happens with a startup, you think about it is that they're venture capitalists sitting on the cap table and their founders were running the show. And what happens is that the venture capitalists ultimately, if the company is not is just burning cash, can force a company to go into an MA cycle because they believe it has a better home somewhere else. And uh, you know that's really a VC-led uh, exit that is taking place in situations where consolidation becomes the need of the hour because the company is not going to be the winner that takes it all in the relevant sector. And uh, these companies have only digital assets or tech assets, so essentially soft assets. They don't have hard assets that can go through an IBC-type resolution process where the cash flows are stable and it's a function of more financial mismanagement or imprudence that has led to an insolvency event. And uh, so some of these situations also become tricky to resolve because if you're trying, unless you know somebody's willing to just buy you for cash, uh, it becomes difficult to resolve these situations and the current regulatory framework also is, is quite challenging and one has to come up with creative uh, M&A solutions in terms of business transfers uh, and, and so on and so forth to resolve these. Uh, I think we're seeing a fair bit of M&A activity uh, here, which is of the nature of where you're trying to salvage whatever is left in the business where the startup hasn't really become the winner in its sector and people are looking at hiring off employees' intellectual property and then finding a way to deal with the liabilities and wind up. Of course, well-capitalized startups, it's not all doom and gloom. I don't want to song that way. Well, they have some very well-capitalized startups and they are extremely hungry for growth and buying technologies, buying incumbents in their sectors and uh, you know, growing hungrily with all the VC firepower that they have on their cap table. Uh, there are issues in terms of structuring these deals and I'm sure we'll talk about them later in terms of using stock as acquisition currency, but uh, let's discuss that later if we come to it. Uh, Nandini, if you could So I think Bharat's covered the entire uh, startup community and trends and how, you know, how they either 
kind of grow to become that unicorn and and the leader or have to kind of bow out and kind either do a forced sale to somebody else uh, absent insolvency i think he covered that very well let me just focus more on the job creation side i think for those who have uh, kind of um, you know ridden out this storm and emerged kind of uh, really strong with a strong cap table and the ability to you know raise for the capital for growth, I think they have clearly added jobs. I mean, Walmart, Flipkart alone have, I think, added about 50,000 jobs as Walmart has taken, you know, gradual stake in Flipkart over the years, including the recent one. Uh, once an incumbent like that comes in and and, and keeps growing, I think PE, uh, which, which is a huge fuel for growth for any organization requires, I think, talent. Growth goes hand in hand with talent and therefore capital grows uh, hand in hand. Not so much M&A as such, which are secondary deals, but primary transactions, which is fundraising via PE, fundraise via capital markets, and fundraise via debt raises really create uh, create uh, jobs. And, and I was going to kind of focus on that. Outside of just the tech sector, I think, again, Large M and A mean large investments, future investments by the buyer. So whether it is an Adani in cement or the HDFC bank merger, I think they have announced ten thousand crores of investment in in technology and infrastructure. That is huge amount of job creation. Tata is after acquiring Air India have announced an order of nearly four hundred four fifty new aircrafts. Every aircraft creates about between 500 and 700 new direct and indirect jobs just do the math and that's if you add 400 aircraft you have you have another you know 28 to 30000 jobs being added by one incumbent alone so i think mna is a huge uh, you know facilitator for growth and uh, job creation absolutely how have regulations and government policies impacted the mna landscape nandini if you could please go first yeah, I think let me stay more on the commercial side and maybe leave uh, Bharat uh, to cover off on, on regulation, though I could uh, see a couple already kind of really making a change. I think the big one that we are seeing as a banker is government disinvestments and the entire will and desire to push through real privatization after many, many uh, years and five-year plans of largely, you know, PSU to PSU consolidation. So, uh, you know, if the Air India one, Air India transaction was about $2.4 billion, which they sold to Tata. Then they sold Nilachal Ispath to Tata Steel. And those were the two large first third-party recent uh, transactions. There is a huge pipeline of uh, disinvestments, which shows the palm and, and, and the cabinet's uh, conviction of, you know, um, not running, um, you know, assets of which could be run better in the hands of you know, private sector, current ones, which are large are IDBI Bank, uh, Shipping Corporation, we're seeing Nagarnar Steel, which just got demerged from uh, NMDC, uh, the much-awaited Concord and Rashtriya Ispat Nikam. So I think some of that is really policy-driven. And uh, I'm also hoping that, you know, impending elections will not derail this process and this momentum will continue through, you know, uh, post-2024 general elections. There have been some other, I think, some other... Things like the Competition Amendment Act, which was very critical, and we were talking about data and software and tech companies. I think um, some very significant 
amendments and, and CCI has been pursuing, um, you know, all, all even advisors like us to look under the hood to see how they could bring in large tech deals under CCI approvals, which otherwise had, uh, you know, thresholds for asset and turnover, um, but not. And now they've added a deal deal value uh, threshold, which actually brings in all the asset light. As Bharat said, you know, most of the tech companies are really asset light, sometimes even turnover light, but yet their valuations are underpinned by a massive number of subscribers or consumers. And CCI was literally just missing that. So I think that is going to change uh, somewhat or at least put more scrutiny on on the kind of uh, transactions and the, the scale of transactions that that could be happening. FEMA, I think, and, and here maybe Bharat could uh, clarify more, the overseas investment 2022 rules, uh, we'll probably see basis that more financial services outbound. We'll see some interesting structures around, you know, foreign family offices. Press note three seems to seems to be here for for you know for keeps uh, which limits uh, investments from our neighboring countries uh, uh, was set up for a purpose I think some of these I continue to see uh, will will have a, a reasonable effect on the m and um, and then then I think a big one that we are waiting is really a regulation around FDI whether some more sectors will kind of open up insurance being one of them and you, you keep hearing that it might go up to 100, some some gaps being completely removed. But uh, I guess th- those we will wait to see what happens. Yeah, I think Nandri's touched upon, you know, the core uh, areas uh, really very well and summarized them uh, quite, quite exhaustively. I think I maybe look at, you know, regulatory impact in terms of, you know, deal structures uh, and where things can improve uh, fairly significantly, I think, through a few uh, quick changes uh, to really add rocket fuel to the M&A market, you know, so take one in terms of getting financing, you know, we still have very restrictive rules in terms of banks providing acquisition financing locally here in India. So you have to go to alternate providers of finance. Uh, there are some exceptions and limitations, but for very few sectors. So could there be some degree of liberalization there, particularly where you have well capitalized issuers uh, who have, you know, meet some uh, liquidity and solvency tests? Uh, who can then go and raise domestically more easily, you know, uh, at least in terms of loans. Of course, they can approach the local bond market, but, uh, you know, slightly different uh, way of financing. I do think the opening up of the ODI uh, route has resulted in people looking at creative structures in terms of using the ODI entity, uh, which is backstopped by an Indian parent guarantee to see if they can raise money offshore for in-country financing because of the liberalization in terms of the step-down subsidiary rule, then it's interesting to see whether some of those structures actually result in any actual deal activity. But that is um, a structural change that we're seeing people talk about. In terms of swaps, unfortunately, you know, using stock as acquisition currency, as I mentioned earlier, that's still not reached sophistication that one would hope. Because anywhere else in the world, if I swap shares for shares, I don't get taxed at the time of the swap. I get taxed when I convert those shares into liquidity so that I can actually pay my taxes. But in India, for some perverse reason, you know, you swap shares for shares, you're a you know, company in distress, another company is buying you, that company doesn't have an exit in place, it gives you shares in return for your shares, and you as the seller end up paying tax on that deal. That just seems like a really bad place to be, because where are you going to finance it? And then the structure that one has to come up with to make those deals happen, get uh, you know fairly convoluted. I think ESOP holders also have to suffer on account of um, you know similar taxation 
at the time of uh, the actual exercise rather than uh, you know exit. So I think these are some areas where regulatory intervention would be helpful as would if the RBI allows uh, the advent of convertible notes so that foreign investors can protect downside even coming in as an FDI investor today that's only permissible in, as an FBCI and a lot of people have actually you know forgotten or or not really relied upon the FBCI route to come in so i think uh, you know in terms of actually making deals happen price deals price downside risk some of these regulatory interventions could go a really long way supplemented with you know some of the frenzy that we're seeing in the sectors that we discussed earlier to supplement m and activity absolutely looking ahead what do you anticipate for the futures of m and and consolidation and especially their role in driving economic growth bharat if you could please go first sure i think you know as an m and lawyer i think it's obviously um, uh, you know fairly significant because what it uh, ensures is that you know there is value creation you know both uh, you know sectorally as well as uh, in terms of you know encouraging people to innovate to come up with new technologies new products uh, new ideas new services and uh, have something to offer for uh, you know either you know you know either for an incumbent to go ahead and buy up Uh, or just to take over the market. So I think uh, in whichever market they're playing in. So I think M&A is, uh, uh, you know, the fact that you're not just building to hold and to hold in some flat future forever, which doesn't grow, and you have a, you know, a, a you know very uh, dull-looking future. M&A activity and the fact that cash is available, buyers are available, makes it exciting to be an entrepreneur to come up with a new idea and to see whether you can be the winner in your sector or you flip it. Uh, and you become part of something larger and bigger but it does create that traction i think it does create excitement given the number of engineers and talent that we have in india and the markets i think it's uh, you know it's a very exciting tool and i think we're just seeing the beginning of uh, uh, you know mna as an industry in india me if you could please come in vian yeah so i think um great set of points uh, in terms of crystal gazing i think um what i would like to add there is i think from i've been a banker for 30 years now and i see literally different waves sometimes even in you know maybe a decade old pattern so consolidation was and has been a you know consistent theme for uh some of the larger groups here looking to you know do bigger things consolidate balance sheets have uh stronger balance sheets to raise further money uh to do acquisitions new greenfield activity but at the same time i think what the stock markets then do is kind of discount you if you're an if you're a pooled asset so i'm beginning to see a series of spates of demergers where large um, diversified conglomerates are uh either selling businesses we saw shapurji doing that we're seeing vedanta exiting their steel businesses we're seeing reliance kind of break it up and get the right valuations for retail telecom and their you know original oil and gas business we're seeing again vedanta just announced their split uh this was done uh, you know i had done that consolidation in 2012 2013 and uh, come 10 years down the line you know you kind of are uh, doing something quite the opposite and i think this will continue because as corporates kind of their needs keep changing you know the consolidation demerger consolidation demerger is going to keep happening in you know waves uh, so i think that's one trend which is kind of more long term uh, more recent trends i think will be driven by some of the economic outlook both globally 
and we are increasingly becoming you know borderless and uh, so one is one is really ESG compliance I think that's become a huge um, driver of both compliance growth responsibility governance and that is at the at one time an opportunity in another place a cost for corporates uh, that that they cannot ignore it's creating new opportunities it may even probably make some industries a little bit redundant so we're seeing the whole trend toward EV uh, green steel circular economy uh, we're seeing you know plastics will probably suffer um, at some point in time as uh, single use plastic we've already seen banned so within with fundamental structural changes driven by government policy i think you're going to see a, a lot of deal activity we're seeing uh, a lot of fundraisers by companies who are in say recycled plastic recycled lead recycled uh, electronics or materials steel etc um rising shareholder activism i think that's another one that i see uh we saw i think we we, we saw it in a really big way with with hindenburg kind of um getting at adani i clearly clearly stalled the their mna uh you know momentum and velocity and um made them think sharper about their strategy and uh, you know, their, their their expansion and diversification. We're going to continue to see a lot more shareholder activism. I think last but not the least, we're all going to be waiting to see how the elections pan out and, and therefore how markets react. Um, typically, you know, uh, the run up to it means, you know, budgets full of SOPs for, for uh, more targeted towards the individual uh, voter and consumer um and 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 perhaps some of the other initiatives could probably go on a um you know on the back burner but i am an optimist always and i've seen despite government changes uh, uh many many things continue to roll forward and and i'm hoping that uh, there are no you know major uh, changes or impact five on the on the mna scenario post elections Absolutely. Bharat, if we could have closing thoughts from you. No, I would just uh, echo what, um, you know, was said uh, earlier by Namini that, uh, you know, it's it's going to be, I think everybody's now going to be slightly cautious in terms of seeing the outcome of the election, but uh, certainly macroeconomically, um, you know, India is looking in good stead and, uh, uh, and I think, uh, uh, we, we look forward to what, uh, you know, uh, what, what lies ahead. Oh, Nandini, could I please have a closing thoughts from you? Yeah, I think uh, I, I echo uh, Bharat's sentiments. Uh, I think big year ahead of us in terms of elections, uh, but the larger India story, um, how we've positioned ourselves geopolitically uh, vis-a-vis all, you know, pretty much a lot of uh, international relationships, whether it's vis-a-vis, you know, Russia, Ukraine or Canada. I think we, we're seeing a confidence that was hitherto not seen and therefore that drives a lot of the uh, confidence that investors, inbound investors have in the economy as also the uh, the, the growth and potential and the optimism of domestic, large domestic uh, incumbents. So I'm, I'm very optimistic about India M&A going forward. Thank you so much for your time and I look forward to interacting with you soon again. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much.